0: This morning, we're going to begin a series of lessons, and I have thought long and hard about the lessons that are prepared for the congregation, what kinds of things need to be taught upon, and what kind of things we need to instill within a new generation. And so you can understand where I'm going. I want to begin by way of introduction to ask you a question What image comes to your mind when I mention the Church of Christ? What image comes to your mind? I dare say that some of you probably think of this brick building that sits here at 1165 Old Smithville Road in McMinnville. For others of you, I am sure that in your mind... You may be thinking well there's the baptist there's the presbyterians there's the methodist and there is the church of christ and you think as if this is a denomination you know our perception many times are shaped by a number of different images and we're no different than the majority of the people of the world We think like we think because people shape us and mold us. They shape our political thinking. They shape our moral thinking. And as we watch our televisions, we listen to the TV and radio and other things, our neighbors. Pretty soon we start thinking like they think. In Psalms 106 and verse 35, it's put very simply, They mingle with the Gentiles and learn their works. We live in a world, and the world begins to teach us to do things their way. I suggest to you, they're killing us morally. But when I go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verses 23 and 24, you find a very sad situation in the history of the children of Israel. After they had returned from the Babylonian captivity, You see, people who had lived in the land, a people to whom purity should have really meant something. We read, in those days I also saw Jews who had married the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah but according to the language of one or the other people. You see, here's our problem. We live in a world today that thinks of churches in denominations and that influences our thinking. We live in a world today where we don't look at the church as the people. We look at the church as a building, as an organization separate, apart, and distinct from the body of Christ. Our thinking has become skewed. And so what we need is to teach a generation and remind those of us who are older of what the Lord wants us to see. The passage from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11 was chosen on purpose. Because if you will notice with me the first part of verse 9 and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And you drop down to verse 10 to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. You see God's plan through the church. And Paul says, I want men to see that. I want them to understand that. Here is the necessity do we see the church through the eyes of the world or do we see the church through the eyes of God? And if we do not see the church through the eyes of God, what is it going to take for us to change that? Well, it's my contention, it's going to take us studying the church from the Bible. So, for that reason, I have planned a series of six lessons. And here's what we're going to look at The Church Determined. That's going to be today's lesson and probably tonight's as I look at the clock and I'm just getting started. We're going to talk about how God pictured the church from the Old Testament before it got here. Then we want to look at the church described by Jesus. We're going to look at the parables of the kingdom found in Matthew chapter 13. How Jesus looked at the church and how he described it. Then we want to look at the church described by Paul. Particularly as we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And he pictures the church as the beautiful bride of Christ. Then we want to look at the church declared as we open the book of Acts. They preach the gospel of the kingdom. They preach the church, the body of Christ. What did they say? Then we want to look at the design. Was there an organization planned by God? Was there a function? Surely there was. You remember Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5 when he spoke to Moses, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. There was a design by God. And then finally, the deliverance of the church. We studied 1 Corinthians 15 last week. And he talks about when Jesus gives the kingdom back to the Father. And I believe if we study these six lessons, we won't cover it all. But we'll be much better off for having a proper view of the Lord's church. Well, let's talk about today's lesson The Church the Prophets Saw. Now before we start looking at the seven instances of the prophets' perception, I'd like to use an illustration, if you will, to try to help us understand the prophets and what they saw. Around 200 years ago, people left the state of North Carolina and migrated into what is now known Warren County, Tennessee. And they settled an area out south of town known today to us as Old Philadelphia near Hickory Creek. Many of those people who came and settled this area, among them were some of the men like Price and other people like that. If you were to bring those people to our assembly this morning, in other words, you brought them and you sat them down on one of the pews here this morning, and you let them observe our worship service and observe what's going on, what do you think they would take notice of? I would dare say there's some things that would amaze them. Probably first and foremost is the fact that we walk to a little switch on the wall, flip it, and we've got lights. We take that for granted, We don't even think about that, but that would be something that would amaze them. The fact that the temperature outside may be hot or cold, but we're comfortable. Our air is conditioned. I think they would probably be amazed at the way many of you are looking at your Bible because some of you probably have something in your hand about like this, maybe a little bit larger, and you're reading your Bible on that, and they're like, How in the world are they doing that? But these people, as they were observing, now they've got to go back to their time and describe what's going on. I'm sure one of the things they would say once they got back is, wow, 200 years from now, those people are rich. They sit on padded pews made out of nice, hewn oak. They live in comfort. They're dressed in nice clothing. You wouldn't believe the transportation they have to get them to and from services. No having to hook the team of mules or horses together to pull the buggy for that long, bumpy ride on the dirt road. You see, how are they going to describe that to the people of their day? They don't know anything about cars. They don't know anything about air conditioning. They don't know anything about electric lights. They definitely wouldn't know about having something on a screen like this. How would you describe that? You've got to use figures. You've got to use ideas that the people understand let me tell you what the prophets did. The prophets were given eyesight by God into the coming of the future. And God was going to describe to these prophets, and they've got to put it in terms that the people of their day understood. And so as we begin these prophets, I want you to begin with me to, let's go to the book of Joel. Joel probably one of the earliest of the prophets we will observe. And Joel chapter 2, verse 28, Joel looks forward to the coming of the church. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions and also on my men servants and my maid servants i will pour out my spirit in those days and i will show he- wonders in the heavens of, and the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. Now, I want you to notice, it's as if God had a bowl or a pitcher and He's going to pour out His Spirit. And what we observe here, it's going to be such a dramatic event that everybody's going to be able to see it and take notice of it. It's going to involve all classes, young and old, male and female, free and slave. It's going to be accompanied with such dramatic events that it's going to capture the attention of everyone. Now I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to back up to chapter 1 for just a moment to verses 4 and 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus tells the apostles to go into Jerusalem and to wait until they're endued with power from on high. In verse 8, he says that when the Spirit comes, they will receive the promise of that power. The power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you get to chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire and sat upon each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? It is a dramatic event. It is an outpouring of the Spirit. But how do I know that what Joel is writing is what is occurring here in the ushering in of the church? Verse 16. Peter says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel 2, verses 28 and following. You see, it's such a dramatic event that as Joel looks forward to the ushering in of the church, he says it's just like God is pouring out His Spirit and it's going to be accompanied with people doing miraculous things. And they did. But you see, everything up to this point was looking forward to the coming of the church. But when we get to Acts 2... It's there. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It is a picture, if you will, of the establishment of the New Testament church. And so what he is doing as he is looking forward, he's seeing the church that is not man's church. It's God's church. Now, if you'll turn with me to the book of Amos, let's go to chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Because Joel only was given a partial glimpse, Amos is going to be given another picture, if you will, another description. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that it may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Now Amos has a picture in mind. And for the Jews, the tabernacle was a very important theme. Do you remember the tabernacle? When the children of Israel arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on top of that mountain and God gives him a plan and he comes back down and he says, here's how it's going to look, here's how it's going to be constructed, here's all the elements of it, that tabernacle served the children of Israel to the time of David. David then made preparations for a permanent building to be in Jerusalem But he says, I want to go back to the tabernacle, this tent. Now, what was the tent for? The tent was where the children of Israel could come to meet God. That's where they brought their sacrifices. And as they brought their sacrifices and there's where they met God, it's a figure of the place where God will not only meet the children of Israel but the Gentiles who are called by my name. Now you might think in your mind, wow, that's, that's a pretty big stretch. Picturing the church as a tabernacle and as a place to meet God, but I know that this is true. Because if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 15, let's begin with verse 13. We'll read through verse 18. And we're going to notice that James, as they are debating whether or not the Gentiles should be allowed in the church, is going to say, most assuredly. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. So that the rest of the mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. And then James puts an exclamation point. Known to God from eternity are all of his works. God knew what he wanted the church to look like. God knew that he wanted Gentiles to be a part of it. James, when he looks at those people and he's finally got their attention, he's got everybody quiet, he's got everybody listening. He said, Peter showed you what God did with the household of Cornelius. And I am carrying you back to scriptures and saying, this is exactly what Amos was talking about as he opened his eyes and he saw the picture of the church. We're going to now look at Isaiah and Micah. If you want to, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2, and then we'll go to Micah chapter 4, just the first two verses of each of these. They're going to say essentially the same thing. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall the law go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem... Micah's account, "...now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all peoples shall flow to it." You see the exact same words. The difference is Isaiah is the prophet to the kings, to the governors, to the wealthy. Micah is the prophet to the ordinary people. But there's no difference in their message. What they see is exactly the same. You see, the problem is sometimes people don't realize if you're going to take the Bible and you're going to take God's message, you're not going to have four or five different types of groups, you're going to have the same message. He talks about a house of Jacob. Now, we're not going to talk about the top of the hill yet. But it's a house. And what do you have in a house? You have people. And when I come to the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, he says, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth the picture that Isaiah and Micah are seeing is a house. And the church is a house. Same figure. But he says it's exalted on the top of the mountains. Remember when Jesus spoke about influence? He says a city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. You you put it on the top of the hill, everybody can see it. Everybody does see it. And they're going to say, come, let us go up into the mountain of God, to the house of the God of Jacob. Everybody wants to be a part of it. It's in a great place. All nations would flow into it. Everybody sees the beauty of it. Everybody sees the grandeur of it. And from every nation of people, they want to be a part of that house and a part of that city. But the thing that you notice is that it begins at Jerusalem. In Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, Then He said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary, For the Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You see, if I'm looking at the church that the prophets saw, it begins at Jerusalem. Now, I know there's a lot of churches today that are in existence that were not begun in Jerusalem. They're churches that are established here in the United States. Their leaders are historical figures here in the United States. But folks, if you want the true church, the correct one, the right one, you've got to go back to Jerusalem. No other way. I know you say, that still leaves four more prophets, and we're out of time. That's the reason why we have Sunday night. That's the reason why you need to be back tonight, as Paul Harvey would say for the rest of the story. But let me point out to you, as we go through each of these lessons, the church was in the very mind of God Because he wanted to save men's souls. If you'll notice the connection of Joel 2.28, and it shall be that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God wants to save his people from this sinful world. He's always wanted to save righteous people. That's the reason why Noah and his family were put on the ark. And that's the reason why God created the church. And if you're not yet a member of that body, you need to be this morning. We studied Acts 2 briefly as we looked at the prophecy of Joel. You can do what they did and you'll be added to the church by the Lord. You won't be voted on by any man. God will add you to his body, the church. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, for by one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek. You see, you can be a part of that wonderful body of the church by being baptized. If you haven't done that this morning, when we sing the invitation song, if you'll come down to the front row here and just tell me you want to be baptized for the mission of your sins, we will do that. If you are a Christian, That is, you are a member of the body of the church and your life has not been lived in accordance with God's will. If you'll also come, we'll pray with you. We want to go to heaven. If you're not ready, would you come as we stand and say?